Stand with me and let's read a couple pieces of of verse here. I'm going to read Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to go to Mark's gospel, the 16th chapter. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season and whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Wow, I love that verse. And then Mark's gospel, the 16th chapter, the last four or five verses that uh, Jesus speaks, it's the, 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 the commission, if you will, uh, that Jesus gives as he's getting ready to take off. And so, verse 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Somebody in here say, Amen. Uh, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they'll cast out demons. Wouldn't it just be nice if this morning everybody that walked in this building was delivered of any oppression that they might have to be battling? Wouldn't it just whatever it is, whether it's mental or physical or emotional, but financial, but every oppressive spirit of the enemy had to be broken because the believer said, "In the name of Jesus, you're free." Okay. They will speak with new tongues. They will take. You know, new tongues could just be nice. I just, I, I listen to a lot of stuff today and I think, well, I just think that the, the opposite of old tongues and new tongues could be just nice. Could we just be nice to one another, be kind to one another, smile, oh, never mind. And they will take up serpents and they, if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means harm them and they will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Anybody in for that? Lord, I pray this morning that the words that you have spoken would be true. And that every other man a liar. I pray this morning that we would stop vacillating back and forth between, well, did he mean it or did he not? I pray this morning that we would accept it as true and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've told the story numerous of times, and you've probably all heard it, but I like the story, so I'm going to tell it again. And it's the story about how my father built a cabin in Missouri on a hill like this. And Mr. Robertson had a house right beside it. And Mr. Robertson's basement began to slide down the hill. How many of you heard me tell this story? A hundred times, right? And that the only way to stop the hill from sl- house from sliding down the hills, they went and they found this old fellow down on Kings River. Uh, and down near Biola, south of Shelnob, Missouri. And he told them to go get these trees and plant them around the basement. And those trees would grow and it would stop the basement from sliding down the hill because the old man said, only nature can stop nature. There had to be something equally as strong within nature that would stop the slide of nature that was taking place. I actually believe the church has slid in the last 2,000 years. I believe our understanding of what it means to be the church has taken a slide. People today think church is an option to life. They think it's a, you know, it's kind of like adding air conditioning was when you used to buy cars in the 60s. Okay, you didn't grow up in the 60s. In the 60s, the biggest option you could put on a car, in my opinion, when I was nine, was air conditioning. Had nothing to do with USB ports. 
I watch them advertise Hyundai's and Kia's, and they have six USB ports. And I think, my, how things have changed. When we went to get that 1966 Red Rambler station wagon, all I cared about was, did it have air conditioning? Because sitting in the back seat never was cool enough. I, I mean, church is not an option to your faith. But somehow, in the last... 50, 60 years of American Christianity, particularly, church is an option. Well, you don't need church to go to heaven. You, you don't need church to have... No, no, you, you stay at home. In fact, in a culture that evaluates everything else, we evaluate the hamburger at, here, and we evaluate the performance of this, and we actually think that our evaluation of stuff means something. We, we really do believe that everybody's performing for us, Right? And so when it comes to the church, we think everybody in church is performing for us. And so we evaluate churches and we grade churches and sermons and, app, you know, I, I, for years, I, I, I'd hear people tell me, Pastor, that was a great sermon this morning. The anointing was so strong. What I heard them say was last week sucked. <laughs> or you better do better next week. Or, you know, that's what I heard. They didn't mean that. I don't, I don't mean that. But in other words, my performance was always being evaluated. And, and I think the church has slidden. I think her foundations have slidden, mostly because she's failed to recognize that there are some natural things that have to go on. And that old man told my dad, he said, now Mansell, he said, you go get them trees and you plant them right around the edge of this basement here. And sure enough, about three years, several of those trees had grown 60 feet. And I remember Dad going and getting that old man. That old man was typical Southern Missouri little boy, you know, one tooth kind of thing. And um, and he stood there. And he said, "Look you there." He said, "They found them." I'll never forget it. And my dad said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Well, he said there's three rivers that make up Table Rock Lake: the James, the White, uh, and the King. And it's a confluence of three rivers." that is brought together to create Table Rock Lake, which has Christian Las Vegas called Branson on the other end of it. You do know Branson is Christian Las Vegas. You're looking at me like you don't get this. It's the confluence of three rivers. And uh, if you've ever been in southern Missouri and you see all those hills and those... And uh, that old man said, you know, when they dammed up that river, those rivers... He said, there are springs down there in them bottoms. And he said, that water got dammed up. And he said, that water began to look for places to come to the surface. And he said, water never goes up a mountain until you dam it down the river. And he said, them trees have found the springs of water that have been pushed up out of the bottoms of those rivers. And he said, those trees now will grow to be so big. And I, I can tell you, I've been down there four or five times. Those trees are huge now because they tapped into the river that was naturally in the bottom of the riverbed, but now it's up on the mountain. See, it's unnatural for a river to be on the top of a mountain, but I could take you in scriptures where there's rivers on the top of mountains. It generally has to do with someone messes with nature. And when someone messes with nature, but trees planted by the rivers of living water will prosper. No matter where that river goes, if a tree taps into it, they'll become strong and stable, and that basement will stop sliding. We have placed Christianity and the church in places that she wasn't supposed to be placed. 
We've tried to build her in places she shouldn't be built and built her in ways she never intended to be built. And she's sliding. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist or anybody to do what I do to understand uh, the low percentages given our cultural size of people that really are plugged into Christian faith. I tell that story just so that you can understand that that story began to be a metaphor for me as I began to go through struggles about 20 years ago of understanding the value of the church itself because I went and paid a lot of money to get these degrees in church growth and they've expanded it now and how do we do how do we accommodate a culture that wants a shorter service how do we accommodate a culture that wants a better performance of this how do we do that and how do we get people to come back to the church and how do we make the church more attractional and less confrontive and how do we frankly water down the message so it doesn't challenge the accommodation of the things in culture today and and about 25 years ago, that began to be a big reality. And as I watched that take place, I began to realize that what was also happening is when you introduce casual Christianity, to quote John, if you introduce casual dress, you also introduce the, this idea of casual Christianity. And so all of a sudden, the idea that this was a holy place doing holy things began to be diminished into some sort of function of application to teach people how to do the normal things of life. And the idea of spiritual transformation began to be lost in this country. And with that <clears throat> became something deeply troubling for me in about 1997 through about 2000. We experienced huge revival here. And yet what I could see was people were addicted to an experience and not truly being transformed. Kelly, you were here. We were addicted to an experience, but there really wasn't a transformation going on deeply within the lives of the people. And that troubled me. Though I am deeply Pentecostal and charismatic and believe in the move of the Holy Spirit, I was smart enough to recognize, Jim, that there were some things that just were out of place. And that's hard to recognize in the middle of success. We had money. We were, things were good. And yet I was troubled, and rightfully so, and I remember one night laying in, in this place where I prayed, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Quentin, you have settled for a pool party when the reality is I've called you out onto a roaring river. And it took me a minute to try to metaphorically grasp what that meant. And there's a story in the Gospel of John that an angel at a certain time went down to a pool, stirred up the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water made well of whatever disease he had, and there was a certain man who had been there for 38 years. You remember the story? The story is that there's this pool, and if the waters got stirred, whoever got into the pool first, they got healed. But the man that had been there 38 years never could get there first. So people laying around this pool waiting for a revival to happen, if they could just get to the revival, they'd get... You know how many people just are waiting for another revival? And they've settled for pool parties. And Jesus came in and said, here, let me throw my own pool party. I don't need. You take that story and you contrast it to Ezekiel chapter 47. And Ezekiel chapter 47 tells the story about how out from under the door of the temple flows this river. And if you read the entire portion of scripture in chapter 47 of Ezekiel, 
you'll find out that as the prophet went into the water that was ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep over his head, that it was so big he couldn't measure the water. And then he goes on to describe how not only could he not measure it, he couldn't get across it. And then he goes on to describe that whatever was planted on either side of it lived well. And then he described that whatever sea the river ran into, the sea itself was made whole. And then he described that anybody that was near the water, in the water, out of the water, was alive and was made well. And the Lord said, you've settled for pool parties when you should be out on the roaring rapids of the river. I'll, I'll never forget where I was at when God began to speak to me metaphorically out of the scriptures. And then if you go to John chapter 7, verses 37, 38, Jesus said, out of your hearts or bellies will flow rivers of living water. I want to be right on right, real honest with you, I begin to realize that many times we settle for things that are important when the truth of the matter is if we would recover the identity of who we really are by our very nature, we could live in the reality that we were settling for just moments of. Is that making any sense? That there is supposed to be this river of life that flows out from under the temple of God and that it doesn't, isn't going to take me long here to, 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 to get you to realize we are that temple. It isn't going to take me long through scriptures. And I'm telling this story more as a, as a memoir of 17, 18 years of my own life, just so that you can understand who I believe we are today. That, that experience of all those years ago began to make me ask, what is the church? What is the church? Is she just a social organization to gather people around a common set of purposes to build a building? I've done that. Is she just a social organization set around some pet doctrines that set us apart from the Baptists and the Episcopalians and the Methodists? And I've done that. Are, are we just set around a construct of how we face the culture we live in and with a common set of values? I've done that. Is that what we are? Are we the organization of human beings trying to organize themselves around our understanding of God? Is the church something that God created or is it something that man designs? And again, it doesn't take long to begin to walk down through the scriptures and recognize that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It doesn't take long to recognize in Acts chapter 20 that he purchased the church with his own blood. Doesn't take long to realize that he said he added to the church daily those who were being saved. Doesn't take long to realize that he puts overseers over this church. It doesn't take long to realize in Revelation that there's seven different locations of a church. And that's the only time that there's a distinction made between churches and it's based on their location, the seven churches of Ephesus. It doesn't take long to realize that the spiritual gifts, prophetic utterances are meant to edify, exhort, and exalt the church. But the verse that began to jump out at me a number of years ago that just gripped me was the one I used to help marriages. Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives just as Christ has loved the church. So Christ loves the church. Say with me, Christ loves the church. You want to be careful when you talk about something he loves. Ask Paul. Paul went to, to persecute the church, and Jesus stood up and said, why persecute me? God loves, Jesus loves, the church gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. But 
But it's verse 29 that got my attention. For no one ever hates his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. The, the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church. And we are members of his body. Now, I don't know about you, but when that really hit me, it sucked the air out of me. It, it took my breath away. I am a member. Listen, my kidney is a member of this body. Did you know that separate from this body, that kidney doesn't live? To, to realize that I am a part of the very flesh and bone of God. He, he isn't going to lop off his right arm. He isn't going to lop off his left foot. Because we are members. It, it, it began to arrest my attention that perhaps there was more to the church than what I had been previously told. He goes on to say that this is a great mystery. It certainly is. And a mystery is not something you can conquer. A mystery is something that has to be revealed to you through spiritual realities. A mystery is something that humbles you and breaks you, that you, you are this connected. For we are members of this body, flesh and bone. I, I, I'm still stunned. I'm still stunned at the reality of how easily people will allow themselves to be divided between other members of the body of Christ. I'm, I'm still I'm amazed that if you really understand the scriptures that we say are the foundation of our faith, that we could in any way allow division to exist within what we believe to be the body of Christ. Those questions permeated my my soul back in the early 2000s, and, and, and I begin to realize that the church is not defined by what she does, but by who she is. And I begin to realize that you cannot evaluate the performance of the church, you must simply participate in being the church. And I said a mouthful right there. You, you, you don't get to be a spectator. You don't get to evaluate other people's performance. To come into the body of Christ, to know Jesus as Lord, is to be added to the body. It's to participate. I, I had spent many years, and still every once in a while I hear us over it, trying to get volunteers. No, you don't get to volunteer. No, that would mean that you had a choice. No, if you've been grafted, adopted, and you belong to Jesus, and he is your Lord, you are part of this body. You get to help worship Feed her, groom her, nourish her, care for her. Am I making any sense? Church then is not an option. Church is who we are. I don't find my identity in anything other than the body of Christ. I believe that it is the church that gives identity to each one of us. I don't believe it's the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, the Episcopalian Church, Roman Catholic. I believe it's the church. It's the people of God. And so when I begin to do my own reading, went back to school, I begin to find out that the very first way God describes the church is that we are people called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we who were once not his people are now his people. That we were sojourners, lost, if you will, without hope, most of us being Gentiles. But that through his mercy, people who had no mercy have now obtained mercy. And now, merciless people have become people who have received mercy. And now we are people having received grace and forgiveness. And that's what makes us God's 
people, that if there's anybody in here that thinks they've earned a right to be one of God's people, then you're not God's people because God's people are people who he chose to forgive unconditionally and undeniably. In fact, he gave himself so that you could come in and, and we are defined as that. Listen, I'm going to root for the chiefs at one as much as Wendell are, but I'm not a chief. I'm a Christian first and foremost. I'm not a part of a political party. I'm not part of a nation. My identity comes from the reality that I've been forgiven by Christ. And because I've been forgiven by Christ, I've been added to these people. And this is not an individual experience that I get to have. I'm now part of you. And you are part of me. And by this the world will know that we are his disciples, that we now love one another, even though we are a mixed bag of people. You could say this is a mixed marriage. Really, really mixed. Come on. Every... And when I begin to realize that he says, and these people will become, be called my sons of the living God. Wow. Then you don't define your identity individually. Your identity is found within this people. I love Pete. You hear me. I'll say it in second service too. I love Pete. I love the school of identity, but the school of identity separated from the church is a joke. Oh, well, sorry, but it's together that we discover who we are. You don't leave your family to go find yourself. You leave your family to go eat pig stuff. You find yourself when you come home. That's in the book. I don't have time. If your kids don't know who they are before they leave, they'll never find themselves. Mm. Uh, come on, moms and dads. If your kids do not know who they are through having been raised in your family, they're never going to find themselves out there. They're not going to do it. My number one job was to make sure my little girls knew they were little girls who needed to be respected. My number one job for my sons were to teach them how to respect little girls. You'll get that in a minute. You say, it's too simple. No, if I just did those two things, I did enough. I did enough. People, the church then is a people, and people are defined by their history. The church has a history, has a story. Right? If you don't know the story and what I began to realize 20 years ago nearly, why am I telling you this? Because I'm going to publish this book. And some of you are going to read this book and go, oh my God, he didn't tell that. Yeah, I am. I really am. I came to realize that my story of God was not big enough. That it needed to be bigger than being Pentecostal. That it needed to be bigger than that. That I had a bigger story that started a long time ago. And, and that I needed to know that story. Oh, well. And that I needed to be telling that story of how Jesus became a man. Did you know that people still don't understand the incarnational reality of how God became a man? 
Our faith is based on the fact that a holy God took upon flesh and bone. Wow! And that that flesh and bone man revealed that God is a trinity. That inside of that man, if you've seen this one, you've seen the Father. And then they talk about what's his name. In other words, God is bigger than what... And we need to talk about this incarnational God revealing a Trinitarian community who dies on a cross and then comes to live inside of us and that he did it through people called Ignatius and Irenaeus and Polycarp and and all those other weird names. And that down until the 3rd, 4th century, they didn't have one of these They had a couple letters scratched on parchments that were done in the cover of a catacomb and the threat of being killed. And they passed around those letters like they were something holy. Today, you and I can go buy it from Walmart for $9.95 and never read it. People died so that we could get this through these little scraps of stories. Wow! I begin to realize that these people that we call Christians have a story, and there were certain practices that they did from the beginning. They got together and put people underwater, and it was important. It meant something. And then they got together on a weekly basis, and they had a meal together, and it meant something. Am I making any sense? And so these people who had a story had certain practices that defined them over and against the other peoples of their time. Am I making sense? Oh, come on. (laughs) People with a story, a history, and they keep that history and that story alive by certain practices, develop a community of people that live different, separated from the other communities of the world, those are Christians. Man, I wonder what we're doing today in our community that is different from. Can I just tell you that I have, I'm 60 plus, ugh, and, and, and that today most of the church growth things I go to, the people ask me to come talk to them, they're trying to figure out how to get the culture into the church, and I'm trying to figure out how to get the culture out of the church. I'm trying to figure out how we live as the people of God, not the people of you fill in the blank. I'm not trying to be like them, make them feel, listen, if you're coming from out there, this is going to be uncomfortable. Now, we'll hold you underwater till you're dead, and then we'll feed you at the table. Come on, I don't. I had to do that, didn't I? So I begin to realize there's more to the church than I had initially thought. It was the people of God. And, and then, then you find this language in the scriptures, the body of Christ. Those people become the very dwelling place. This people, this community, this, these people who responded to the gospel, these people who were baptized, these people who met together and prayed together and ate together, those people became the place, the living stones, not the temple made out of big stones, but the temple, the body made out of living stones, the Bible says, that when they gathered together on a Sunday morning 
in 2019 on September the 29th and they heard the gospel and they remembered the story and they break the bread, that that became the temple, the place where heaven and earth were come together and there God was. I don't know about you, but I came for God this morning, not necessarily for you. Can I just tell you this morning, the world needs a manifestation of the same God that manifested 2,000 years ago on a cross. They need the same God today. They need to meet the same Jesus that stepped over people to get to the one. They need the same Jesus that fed the five. They, we need Jesus. We don't need a social construct of what we think the church might be to make others come. We just need the raw presence of God that makes itself manifest in his people, his body, his house, his temple. Am I making any sense? And when that collided within my heart and my spirit and reading, I began to realize as much as I was in love with the pool party that was going on at the time, and my goodness, we had a pool party going on. Come on, some of you were here. We were in three and four hour services. People just getting saved. And I mean, it's wonderful, right? We sang till nobody could sing. But it came to an end. Why? Because it was built on the back of humanity. It was built on the strength of the gifts of the people that were performing. We were going to get tired. I got tired. I got tired of having to come up with something. I, I got tired. I watched Charles and Martha get tired. I, 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 am I making sense? And I began to realize that we had to know something more about the identity of the church than had been handed to us simply by our charismatic Pentecostal faith. Now listen to me. I'm not against being Pentecostal. Please hang on because I'm going to wind this up pretty good. And we had to have more than just our evangelical understanding, our Nazarene holiness. If we live right long enough, God will never stop blessing. In other words, if we all get clean enough, pure enough, holy enough, and don't spit and chew and run with folks that do, that then maybe there. No, 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 no. So there had to be something bigger than. And, and, and then I, I, would, I would, was intelligent enough to understand that I've been to sacramental churches where they were baptizing people and sharing the Eucharist, but, you know, it's just about as lifeless as nobody's going to admit that either. See, now I've just, everybody. However, if the church could recover her identity as being a people set apart, the very people, the body, the building, the house, the temple of the Lord. Then when they gathered together in anticipation of his presence, it would not be based on their performance, but upon their participation. So someone would open a door. Someone would read a scripture. Someone might sing a song. Someone might take care of a child. Together we might break the bread and not because we had some sort of goosebump, not because we performed better than anybody else across town, but because he promised to be with his people. 
there would be this river. It would be this river. It would be this... What is a Convergence Church? A Convergence Church wakes up and recognizes that it's not just one expression of God. And a Convergence Church wakes up and recognizes that we can no longer be divided. That we can no longer evaluate the performance of the people in the church. That we can no longer evaluate the doctrine or the denomination or the expression but that we must receive the church as a gift just as we've received our faith as a gift. That the prophet Jude says that faith was once and for all handed to, and I don't get to make it up. That the church as well is his. Built by him, and we're added to it, not to bring change to it, but to enjoy it. And that the history, the practices of the church haven't changed for 2,000 years. Has not changed. Many people from the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 12th, 13th century would step into churches in the world today and not recognize it as the church. Because they wouldn't find the word in some places. They wouldn't find joy That they wouldn't find the celebration of the death, the burial, the resurrection, the crucifixion of the Christ. And they wouldn't find the meal. And without those things, we are not his people. And we don't do those things to feel things. We do those things so that we remember who we are. We do those things... Because those things set us apart and we realize we're the people of the kingdom of God, not of just Hutchinson, Kansas. Am I making sense? Um, I got to tell you, I remember when I had to formally make the decision to move down this vein. I knew it would be misunderstood. Uh, I knew it would be I knew it would be. I knew it would take years. It's been, this is the 15th year of my consecration. Uh, so I, I knew it would. I, I had been trying to write the book that I'm trying to write right now to finish it up for about two years. I am so aware that we've lived the story. I'm telling our story. And that story now affects six continents and 22 countries that I personally lead that you pay to send me to. I, I Literally, you talk about a missions outreach. Most people in this community, I don't know whether you realize that they just gave us the Association of the Year Award in Hutchinson, Kansas. Okay. It's cool. I didn't expect it. Most of you don't even know it. And yet, I'm, when I write it, let me tell you, when I write it, this little place in Hutchinson, Kansas, There's going to be people look at you and go, you go to that church. And Jim, I'm going to tell you, even though you've been here through the whole time, I have never stood here and really tried to hammer it into you. I've just let us journey together. Am I making sense? But I'm trying to do us all a favor and try to explain to you what was in my heart. What was in the heart of the leadership behind the scenes 
I never left being Pentecostal. I never left being evangelical. I never really joined the Roman Catholic Church, contrary to people's opinions. <laughs> Good Lord, look at me. Uh, if anything, I got free of ties. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Oh. Okay. Where am I at? I'm okay, right? What is a convergence church? It's a church that's trying to recover the realities of what it means to be the people of God, the body of Christ, and the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of the presence of God. Not because we've performed, but because we participate in those old practices of the word. Because you understand today the word is not considered the word by many. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, praying for one another, believing for signs and wonders. Those are old practices manifested in today's world. To keep doing that, I want to continue to have people walk in here and watch us pray for people. Are, are you listening to me? As much as I want them to see us receiving communion, I want them to see us stopping and praying for people. And believing God for healings. Believing God for deliverances. Those practices that set us apart. What is the purpose of the church? Ephesians 3.10 says, To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. I posted this the other day. I believe heaven looks at the church and goes, Wow! I believe the principalities and powers, the beings of heaven, look at this thing called the body of Christ, the, the God joining humanity, and go, who would have ever guessed that? God in the flesh. Wow! I think heaven is shocked by it. I think the earth is yawning. I think there are people sitting at home this morning too busy to participate. Because they have profoundly forgotten the value of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ, the people of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the revelation of who God is today. God was in Christ, Christ is in the church. Today, between the resurrection and the coming again, is the church. We should be revealing who God is. And who God is is not that denomination or that denomination. Who God is is God's people. People of mercy. People joined and fit together as one. People who make room for the very presence of God. You'll let me finish. You'll like to finish. Second Chronicles chapter 7. It's in the Old Testament. Verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. 
And when all the people saw how the fire came down, the glory of the Lord of the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised God, saying, For the Lord is good, and His mercy endureth forever. (laughs) The metaphors of the temple, fire falling, river flowing, are just... Can you imagine watching fire fall on this temple? My heart begins to pound, I have to tell you. As fire is falling and water is rushing out from under the doorway, my heart is pounding. I'm struggling to breathe at how heaven invades this place. 2 Chronicles 5 talks about how 120 worshipers blew trumpets and the priests were all gathered and they were... And how there was this convergence of heaven and earth and it was fire and smoke and rivers of life being released. How that which was unseen is suddenly made seen. Do you have any idea what is passing through you right now? Did you know there's Wi-Fi waves going through you? There's Bluetooth waves going through you right now. There's microwave, there's there's vibrations in the air that are passing through you, and you cannot see them. But if you got one of these things, you can harness those waves, and a picture will appear, and sound will come out. And the pictures and the sound and the very life that is being transmitted through the unseen realm can be made manifest through one of these. Did you know that every time that we gather together as the people, as the body, and the temple, there is the potentiality of capturing the unseen and making it seen through you and me. We, we become the instrument, the body, the people that make known what is unseen. Every time we get together and turn it on, read the word and pray for one another and remember our baptism and break the bread, boom, the unseen becomes visible. We live by faith, not by sight. Forsake not the assembling together as you see the day approach. Don't lose confidence in the fact this was God's plan for manifesting himself on planet earth in a visible, real, tangible, sustainable, eternal. I don't come to church anymore to perform for you. I don't come to church anymore to tickle you. I come to church to get you to participate so that we get get everything up and on and get it turned on. And maybe during this 70 minutes of being together, we get to see the highlight reels. Convergence Church is a church that believes that when you get all those streams flowing together, when you get all that happening, there's the presence of God. There she is. And one one moment in that presence, signs and wonders and miracles, 
<laughs> and I think it's easier than singing three hours, Kelly. <laughs> I think it's more sustainable. It's exploding around the globe, my friends. It's exploding around the globe. Only in American West is it argued and divided because we are so divided in the American West. I have to tell you, they aren't arguing about this in Africa. They aren't arguing about this in India. They aren't arguing about this in Latin America. They're just experiencing another outpouring of God as the division that has separated the body of Christ is removed and the unity of God is being whether I did that any good or not. So, uh, yeah. So what kind of church is it? Well, it's his church. Now, can I read just three verses to you? Pastor, where do you find three streams and convergence in the scriptures? Well, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and isn't that evangelicalism? That is, preach the gospel. Come on, preach the word, Right? And he who believes and is baptized, isn't that sacrament? God uses physical things to convey spiritual realities. Hmm. And these signs will follow those who, man, there's three streams. There it is, right there in Scripture. Now it spent me 20 years to, let alone... What kind of church are you? Well, just go to John, Mark's gospel, the 16th chapter. We're that one. We're the one that's preaching, baptizing, and seeing signs and wonders and miracles. That, that one right there. Stand with me. <laughs>